Section 11 of Madam How and Lady Why. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Madam How and Lady Why by Charles Kingsley. Section 11, Chapter 10 Field and Wild. Where were we to go next? into the far west to see how all the way along the railroads the new rocks and soils lie above the older and yet how when we get westward the oldest rocks rise highest into the air well we will go but not i think to-day indeed i hardly know how we could get as far as reading for all the world is in the hayfield and even the old horse must go thither too and take his turn at the hay-cart well, the rocks have been where they are for many a year, and they will wait our leisure patiently enough. But midsummer and the hayfield will not wait. Let us take what God gives when he sends it, and learn the lesson that lies nearest to us. After all, it is more to my old mind, and perhaps to your young mind too, to look at things which are young and fresh and living, rather than things which are old and worn and dead. Let us leave the old stones and the old bones and the old shells, the wrecks of ancient worlds which have gone down into the kingdom of death, to teach us their grand lessons some other day. And let us look now at the world of light and life and beauty, which begins here at the open door, and stretches away over the hayfields, over the woods, over the southern moors, over sunny France and sunnier Spain and over the tropic seas down to the equator and the palm groves of the eternal summer if we cannot find something even at starting from the open door to teach us about why and how we must be very short-sighted or very shallow-hearted there is the old cock starling screeching in the eaves because he wants to frighten us away and take a worm to his children without our finding out whereabouts his hole is how does he know that we might hurt him? And how again does he not know that we shall not hurt him? We who for five and twenty years have let him and his ancestors build under those eaves in peace. How did he get that quantity of half-wit, that sort of stupid cunning, into his little brain, and yet get no more? And why, for this is a question of why and not how, does he labor all day long hunting for worms and insects for his children, while his wife nurses them in the nest? Why, too, did he help her to build that nest with toil and care this spring, for the sake of a set of nestlings who can be of no gain or use to him, but only take the food out of his mouth? Simply out of, what shall I call it, my child? Love. That same sense of love and duty, coming surely from that one fountain of all duty and all love which makes your father work for you that the mother should take care of her young is wonderful enough but that at least among many birds the father should help likewise is as you will find out as you grow older more wonderful far so there already the old starling has set us two fresh puzzles about how and why neither of which we shall get answered at least on the side of the grave. Come on, up the field, under the great generous sun who crawls with no one, grudges no one, but shines alike upon the evil and the good. 
What a gay picture he is painting now, with his light pencils. For in them, remember, and not in the things themselves, the color lies. See how, where the hay has been already carried, he floods all the slopes with yellow light, making them stand out sharp against the black shadows of the wood. While where the grass is standing still, he makes the sheets of sorrow flower blush rosy red, or dapples the field with white oxeyes. But is not the sorrel itself red, and the oxeyes white? What color are they at night, when the sun is gone? Dark. That is, no color. The very grass is not green at night. Oh, but it is if you look at it with a lantern. No, no. It is the light of the lantern which happens to be strong enough to make the leaves look green, though it is not strong enough to make a geranium look red. Not red? No. The geranium flowers by a lantern look black, while the leaves look green. If you don't believe me, we will try. But why is that? Why, I cannot tell. And how, you had best ask Professor Tyndall if you ever have the honor of meeting him. But now, hark to the mowing machine, humming like a giant night jar. Come up and look at it, and see how swift and smooth it shears the long grass down, so that in the middle of the swathe it seems to have merely fallen flat, and you must move it before you find that it has been cut off. Ah, there is a proof to us of what men may do if they will only learn the lessons which Madame Howe can teach them. There is that boy, fresh from the national school, cutting more grass in a day than six strong mowers could have cut, and cutting it better, too for the mowing machine goes so much nearer to the ground than the scythe that we gain by it two hundred weight of hay on every acre and see too how persevering old madam howe will not stop her work though the machine has cut off all the grass which she has been making for the last three months for as fast as we shear it off she makes it grow again there are fresh blades here at our feet a full inch long which have sprung up in the last two days for the cattle when they are turned in next week. But if the machine cuts all the grass, the poor mowers will have nothing to do. Not so. They are all busy enough elsewhere. There is plenty of other work to be done, thank God, and wholesomer and easier work than mowing with a burning sun on their backs, drinking gallons of beer, and getting first hot and then cold across the loins, till they lay in a store of lumbago and sciatica to cripple them in their old age. You delight in machinery because it is curious. You should delight in it besides because it does good, and nothing but good, where it is used according to the laws of Lady Y, with care, moderation, and mercy, and fair play between man and man. For example, just as the mowing machine saves the mowers, the threshing machine saves the threshers from rheumatism and chest complaints, which they used to catch in the draught and dust of the unhealthiest place in the whole parish, which is the old-fashioned barn's floor. And so we may hope in future years all heavy drudgery and dirty work will be done more and more by machines, and people will have more and more chance of keeping themselves clean and healthy, and more and more time to read and learn and think and be true civilized men and women, instead of being mere living ploughs or live manure carts, such as I have seen ere now. 
A live manure cart? Yes, child. If you had seen, as I have seen, in foreign lands, poor women, haggard, dirty, grown old before their youth was over, toiling uphill with baskets of foul manure upon their backs, you would have said, as I have said, Oh, for Madam How to cure that ignorance! Oh, for Lady Why to cure that barbarism! Oh, that Madam How would teach them that machinery must always be cheaper in the long run than human muscles and nerves! Oh, that Lady Why would teach them that a woman is the most precious thing on earth, and that if she be turned into a beast of burden, Lady Why and Madam How, likewise, will surely avenge the wrongs of their human sister. There, you do not quite know what I mean, and I do not care that you should. It is good for little folk that big folk should now and then talk over their heads, as the saying is, and make them feel how ignorant they are, and how many solemn and earnest questions there are in the world on which they must make up their minds some day, though not yet. But now we will talk about the hay, or rather do you and the rest go and play in the hay, and gather it up, build forts of it, storm them, pull them down, build them up again, shout, laugh, and scream till you are hot and tired. You will please Madam How thereby, and Lady Why likewise. How? Because Madam How naturally wants her work to succeed, and she is at work now making you. Making me? Of course, making a man of you out of a boy, and that can only be done by the life-blood which runs through and through you. And the more you laugh and shout, the more pure air will pass into your blood and make it red and healthy. And the more you romp and play, unless you overtire yourself, the quicker will that blood flow through all your limbs to make bone and muscle, and help you grow into a man. But why does Lady Y like to see us play? She likes to see you happy as she likes to see the trees and birds happy, for she knows well that there is no food nor medicine either like happiness. If people are not happy enough, they are often tempted to do many wrong deeds, and to think many wrong thoughts, and if by God's grace they know the laws of Lady Why and keep from sin, still unhappiness, if it goes on too long, wears them out, body and mind. And they grow ill and die of broken hearts and broken brains, my child. And so at last poor souls find rest beneath the cross. Children, too, who are unhappy, children who are bullied and frightened and kept dull and silent, never thrive. Their bodies do not thrive, for they grow up weak. Their minds do not thrive, for they grow up dull. Their souls do not thrive, for they learn mean, sly, slavish ways which God forbid you should ever learn. Well said the wise man, the human plant, like the vegetables, can only flower in sunshine. So do you go and enjoy yourself in the sunshine. But remember this, you know what happiness is. Then if you wish to please Lady Why and Lady Why's Lord and King likewise, you will never pass a little child without trying to make it happier, even by a passing smile. And now be off and play in the hay, and come back to me when you are tired. Let us lie down at the foot of this old oak, and see what we can see. Hear what we can hear, too. What is that humming all around us, now that the noisy mowing machine has stopped? And as much softer than the noise of the mowing machine hum, as the machines which make it are more delicate and more curious. 
Madame Howe is a very skilful workwoman and has eyes which see deeper and clearer than all microscopes. As you would find, if you tried to see what makes that midsummer hum of which the haymakers are so fond, because it promises fair weather. Why, it is only the gnats and flies. Only the gnats and flies? You might study those gnats and flies for your whole life without finding out all, or more than a very little, about them. I wish I knew how they move those tiny wings of theirs, a thousand times in a second, I dare say, some of them. I wish I knew how far they know that they are happy, for happy they must be, whether they know it or not. I wish I knew how they live at all. I wish I even knew how many sorts there are humming round us at this moment. How many kinds? three or four? Probably thirty or forty round this single tree. But why should there be so many kinds of living things? Would not one or two have done just as well? Why, indeed? Why should there not have been only one sort of butterfly, and he only of one color, a plain brown or a plain white? And why should there be so many sorts of birds, all robbing the garden at once? thrushes and blackbirds and sparrows and chaffinches and greenfinches and bullfinches and tomtits and there are four kinds of tomtits round here remember but we may go on with such talk forever wiser men than we have asked the same question but lady why will not answer them yet however there is another question which madam howe seems inclined to answer just now which is almost as deep and mysterious what how all these different kinds of things became different. Oh, do tell me. Not I. You must begin at the beginning before you can end at the end, or even make one step towards the end. What do you mean? You must learn the differences between things before you can find out how those differences came about. You must learn Madame Howe's alphabet before you can read her book. And Madame Howe's alphabet of animals and plants is, species, kinds of things. You must see which are like and which unlike, what they are like in and what they are unlike in. You are beginning to do that with your collection of butterflies. You like to arrange them and those that are most like nearest to each other and to compare them. You must do that with thousands of different kinds of things before you can read one page of Madame Howe's natural history book rightly. But it will take so much time and so much trouble. God grant that you may not spend more time on worse matters and make more trouble over things which will profit you far less. But so it must be, willy-nilly, you must learn the alphabet if you mean to read, and you must learn the value of the figures before you can do a sum. Why, what would you think of anyone who sat down to play at cards for money, too, which I hope and trust you never will do, before he knew the names of the cards and which counted highest and took the other? Of course he would be very foolish. Just as foolish are those who make up theories, as they call them, about this world and how it was made, before they have found out what the world is made of. You might as well try to find out how this hay field was made without finding out first what the hay is made of. How the hay field was made? Was it not always a hay field? Ah, yes, the old story, my child. Was not the earth always just what it is now? 
let us see for ourselves whether this was always a hayfield. How? Just pick out all the different kinds of plants and flowers you can find round us here. How many do you think there are? Oh, there seem to be four or five, just as there were three or four kinds of flies in the air. Pick them, child, and count. Let us have facts. How many? What? A dozen already? Yes, and here is another, and another. Why, I have got I don't know how many. Why not? Bring them here and let us see. Nine kinds of grasses and a rush, six kinds of clovers and vetches, and besides dandelion and rattle and oxeye and sorrel and plantain and buttercup and a little stitchwort and pignut and mouse-ear hawkweed, too, which nobody wants. Why? Because there is a sign that I am not a good farmer enough, and have not quite turned my wild into field. What do you mean? Look outside the boundary fence, at the moors and woods. They are forest, wild-wild, as the Germans would call it. Inside the fence is field, feld, as the Germans would call it. Guess why? Is it because the trees inside have been felled? Well, some say so, who know more than I. But now go over the fence and see how many of these plants you can find on the moor. Oh, I think I know. I am so often on the moor. I think you would find more kinds outside than you fancy. But what do you know? That besides some short fine grass about the cattle paths, there are hardly any grasses on the moor save deer's hair and glade grass, and all the rest is heath and moss and firs and fern. Softly, not all. You have forgotten the bog plants, and there are, as I said, many more plants beside on the moor than you fancy, but we will look into that another time. At all events, the plants outside are on the whole quite different from the hayfield. Of course, that is what makes the field look green and the moor brown. Not a doubt. They are so different that they look like bits of two different continents. Scrambling over the fence is like scrambling out of Europe into Australia. Now, how is that difference made? Think. Don't guess, but think. Why does the rich grass come up to the bank and yet not spread beyond it? I suppose because it cannot get over. Not get over? Would not the wind blow the seeds and the birds carry them? They do get over, in millions, I don't doubt, every summer. Then why do they not grow? Think. Is there any difference in the soil inside and out? A very good guess. But guesses are no use without facts. Look. Oh, I remember now. I know now the soil of the field is brown, like the garden and the soil of the moor all black and peaty. Yes, but if you dig down two or three feet, you will find the soils of the moor and the field just the same. So perhaps the topsoils were once both alike. I know. Well, and what do you think about now? I want you to look and think. I want everyone to look and think. Half the misery in the world comes first from not looking, and then from not thinking and I do not want you to be miserable. But shall I be miserable if I do not find out such little things as this? You will be miserable if you do not learn to understand little things, 
because then you will not be able to understand great things when you meet them. Children who are not trained to use their eyes and their common sense grow up the more miserable, the cleverer they are. Why? Because they grow up what men call dreamers and bigots and fanatics, causing misery to themselves and to all who deal with them. So I say again, think. Well, I suppose men must have altered the soil inside the bank. Well done. But why do you think so? Because, of course, someone made the bank, and the brown soil only goes up to it. Well, that is something like common sense. Now you will not say any more, as the cows or the butterflies might, that the hay field was always there. And how did men change the soil? By tilling it with the plow to sweeten it and manuring it to make it rich. And then did all these beautiful grasses grow up of themselves? You ought to know that they most likely did not. You know the new enclosures? Yes. Well then, do rich grasses come up on them? Now that they are broken up? Oh no, nothing but ground cell and a few weeds. Just what, I dare say, came up here at first. But this land was tilled for corn for hundreds of years, I believe. And just about one hundred years ago it was laid down in grass, that is, sown with grass seeds. And where did men get the grass seeds from? Ah, that is a long story, and one that shows our forefathers, though they knew nothing about railroads or electricity, were not such simpletons as some folks think. The way it must have been done was this. Men watched the natural pastures where the cattle get fat on the wild grass as they do in the fens and many other parts of England. And then they saved the seeds of those fattening wild grasses and sowed them in fresh spots. Often they made mistakes. They were careless and got weeds among the seed, like the buttercups which do so much harm to this pasture. Or they sowed on soil which would not suit the seed, and it died. But at last, after many failures, they have grown so careful and so clever that you may send to certain shops saying what sort of soil yours is, and they will send you just the seeds which will grow there and no other. And then you have a good pasture for as long as you choose to keep it good. And how is it kept good? Look at all those loads of hay which are being carried off the field. Do you think you can take all that away without putting anything in its place? Why not? If I took all the butter out of the churn, what must I do if I want more butter still? Put more cream in. So, if I want more grass to grow, I must put on the soil more of what grass is made of. But the butter don't grow and the grass does. What does the grass grow in? The soil? Yes, just as the butter grows in the churn, so you must put fresh grass stuff continually into the soil as you put fresh cream into the churn. You have heard the farm men say, that crop has taken a good deal out of the land? Yes. Then they spoke exact truth. What will that hay turn into by Christmas? Can't you tell? Into milk, of course, which you will drink, and into horse flesh, too, which you will use. Use horse flesh, not eat it? No, we have not got as far as that. We did not even make up our minds to taste the Cambridge donkey. But every time the horse draws the carriage, he uses up so much muscle. 
and that muscle he must get back again by eating hay and corn and that hay and corn must be put back again into the land by manure or there will be all the less for the horse next year for one cannot eat one's cake and keep it too and no more can one eat one's grass so this field is a truly wonderful place it is no ugly pile of brick and mortar with a tall chimney pouring out smoke and evil smells with unhealthy haggard people toiling inside why do you look surprised because because nobody ever said it was you mean a manufactory well and this hayfield is a manufactory only like most of madame howe's workshops infinitely more beautiful as well as infinitely more crafty than any manufactory of man's building it is beautiful to behold and healthy to work in a joy and a blessing alike to the eye and the mind and the body and yet it is a manufactory but a manufactory of what of milk of course and cows and sheep and horses and of your body and mine for we shall drink the milk and eat the meat and therefore it is a flesh and milk manufactory we must put into it every year yard stuff tank stuff guano bones and anything and everything of that kin that madam how may cook it for us into grass and cook the grass again into milk and meat but if we don't give madam how material to work on we cannot expect her to work for us and what do you think will happen then she will set to work for herself the rich grasses will dwindle for want of ammonia that is smelling salts and the rich clovers for want of phosphates that is bone earth and in their places will come over the bank the old weeds and grass off the moor which have not room to get in now because the ground is coveted already they want no ammonia nor phosphates at all events they have none and that is why the cattle on the moor never get fat so they can live where these rich grasses cannot and then they will conquer and thrive and the field will turn into wild once more end of section eleven